You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Rated PG-13. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hey, everybody. This is Doug Robertson of the Atlanta Journal-Constitution with another edition of the Southern Fried Soccer Podcast. It is September 26th, 2021, and it looks like it's going to be another beautiful day after a few consecutive days of rain here in uh, my neck of the woods in Carrollton. Last night, Atlanta United played probably one of its worst games of the year, and that's saying something looking back on results earlier this year. one to nothing at Philadelphia in Chester, Pennsylvania. The only goal was goal scored by Casper Shabuko in the 70th minute, uh, but Philadelphia dominated the game and should have really considered itself unlucky to not have won by more. It took 18 shots to Atlanta United 6, put 9 of those shots on target to Atlanta United's 2. Brad Guzan made 8 saves. Uh, he really is the only reason the game wasn't a whole lot worse. Philadelphia created... One, two, five, six, eight, ten, twelve chances to Atlanta United's four. Uh, the Union with that diamond midfield and just more intensity just dominated Atlanta United. Um, it was, and this is a, an odd word to use, but it was a humbling performance for Atlanta United. And Gonzalo Pineda, though, wanted the team to play humble but not be humbled. And that is exactly what happened. The team had won seven of its past eight. I think maybe Gonzalo could see some signs in training. Uh, maybe that the team wasn't as sharp as he wanted it to be, that it was kind of maybe coasting on its reputation a little bit. And Philadelphia put him to the sword. Uh, Atlanta United was sloppy on the ball. A lot of just weak passes. Uh, a lot of times when a player was standing there and a Philadelphia player would just take the ball off his foot. Um, it, the team played without Joseph Martinez. He's resting his right knee. Alan Franco, because of yellow card accumulation. Uh, Eric Torres, a backup striker, wasn't available because he's in the health and safety protocol, so we'll see if he's there on Wednesday, too. Without assistant coach Rob Valentino, also in the health and safety protocols. But still, Pineda rolled out a false nine formation that scored three goals against Orlando. But this time, it just imploded. Uh, Ezekiel Barco, one shot on target, no chances created. Luis Araujo, no shots on target, no chances created. Marcelino Moreno, one shot on target. It was from 30 yards and wasn't going to go in. And one chance created. That's it from the from the front three. Uh, Atlanta United could not solve that midfield. But 
you know, as Brad Guzan said after the game, tactics aside, push the tactics aside because there was just no intensity. It really reminded me personally of the games under Heinze and of the games uh, in Orlando under Frank DeBoer in the MLS's back tournament. Um, so now I'm going to take a quick coffee sip and I'm going to tell you how that, what that means for the rest of the season. Now, after the rest of Saturday night's action, Atlanta United has dropped to eighth in the playoff race. It's not out of it by any stretch. It trails Montreal by one point, DC United by one point, Orlando by two points, and Philadelphia by two points, NYCFC by three points. No one's catch it, or they're not going to catch Nashville, which plays today against Chicago or New England. But it leads Columbus by just two points, Miami by four, and surging Red Bulls by six. Five of Atlanta United's remaining games, eight games, come against teams that are competing to qualify for the playoffs. It has just two games remaining against teams currently above the playoff line, and that's Montreal and NYCFC. And this is either inspiring or concerning if you're an Atlanta United supporter, I think. The team's record against teams currently above the Eastern Conference playoff line is 4-6-5. and five. Three of those four wins happened in the last six games. If you want to throw in teams that um, are above the playoff line in the e or in the West, um, well, they don't have any wins against those either because LAFC once again dropped below the playoff line. So Atlanta United needs to kind of find some inspiration again. Needs to play with some intensity when it hosts Miami on Wednesday and when it goes to Montreal on Saturday. Coffee sip. Or it's going to be in big trouble. Um, as always, you can find me on Twitter at Doug Robertson AJC and on Facebook at Atlanta United News Now. There's really not a whole lot more to say about last night's game, so we're going to get right into y'all's questions. From Adam, friend of the podcast. I lost count of how many times Atlanta gave the ball over simply by taking too long standing over the ball and having it stolen or being muscled off the ball as they dribbled into trouble. Too lazy, too confused by Philly's play or something else. I think it was just a lack of intensity. And this is going to sound odd, but I think Marcelino Moreno dribbling through five D.C. United defenders and laying that ball off to George Bello may have been a horrible thing. Because a lot of times yesterday you saw players, Atlanta players, trying to dribble through a lot of players instead of just passing and moving. Pineda said after the game that the attacking midfielders were too far apart from each other. There wasn't a lot of passing and moving, which implies there was a lot of dribbling. Um, so they need to kind of forget about that if that's one of the reasons for this bizarreness yesterday. Uh, and just use their quickness, pass and move, pass and move. Um and then Adam continues, the absence of Joseph was a factor, I feel, not only as a weapon, but also in the team's attempts to play without a true striker. It looked like Atlanta's attackers were lost in how to build up a threat and then struggled to know where and whom to defend. As a result, Philly was able to advance numbers forward and choke out the midfield. Uh, yeah, I agree with that. Brad Guzan said at parts of the first half, uh, Philadelphia's back line was like 10 to 15 yards inside Atlanta United's half. And when you have 21 players in that confined of a space, it's hard to get out again unless you're hitting a ball over the top. 
And Atlanta United tried some, tried that a couple of times and it didn't work. And then it just kind of abandoned that idea. And then that's when it started trying to dribble through a little bit more, just a lack of discipline, um, a lack of, of tactical acumen uh, by Atlanta United, which is a really odd thing because they've been on point for so many games uh, during that win streak. But not having striker, having a hold-up guy, having a threat to run down stuff over the top was a factor. Um, when Jackson Conway came on, Atlanta United's offense started to look a little bit better because there was a target in the box that, that they could aim for. But again, you're going up against Jack Elliott and uh, Glesnes, who are going to win most of those headers. So that was a, you know, it was just a, Philadelphia is just not a good matchup for Atlanta this season. Not at all. Still yet to beat them in, in four matches. And Adam continues, lastly, I know the Stripes practice on grass, but today they look like their passing died short, as if they forgot how to move the ball on grass versus turf. Uh, no, I think, again, just a lack of intensity, lack of adrenaline, lack of desire, um, lack of aggressiveness. And, and I don't know why, uh, but they got to get that fixed. All right. Coffee sip. And then we're going to continue with Austin. Austin says, Atlanta's offensive attack was uninspired. Good word for it. Were they just sluggish from a condensed slate of recent matches, or did something change with the tactics, or was it Joseph's absence? Uh, no, well, no, they've had a week off. I, I know the miles build up, and the team did have a week off, so I don't think they should have been considered tired. Pineda did say that Wednesday's session, it was a long, heavy session. The players weren't as sharp. He needs to reflect on that and decide if he needs to demand more from the team in training. Um, the tactics, they were trying to do that false nine formation, which they've only done once this year. So, you know, they could have kind of not been able to work with that very well. Um, I think Philadelphia's diamond midfield, it overloaded Atlanta United's midfield, which really only had Santiago Sosa and Mateus Uzetu, uh, as pure central midfielders. So it was kind of four on two. Moreno was supposed to be a central midfield, but. He was kind of drifting all over the field, as he tends to do. And so Atlanta and I just didn't really have the numbers. Brooks Lennon and George Bellow were supposed to be moving up, and there were times they did, but there were also times they got caught up field and Philadelphia had numbers, or you know, a couple of times they walked uh, instead of tracking. And that's not a good sign either. We saw a lot of walking yesterday when players would lose the ball, um, which uh, that, that's just not good at all. And I'm sure Pineda's going to note that, and I'm sure Pineda's going to talk to the players about that. But that was also really, really surprising. Uh, we saw it from saw it from Brooks Lennon one time, saw it from Rahugio a couple of times, saw it from Barco, who's usually a, a non-stop runner, a couple of times, saw it from Moreno a couple of times. Um, yeah, just uh, Atlanta saying, hopefully this is just a one-off. We got to focus on Miami. All right, uh, we're going to Aaron now. Philly are an extremely frustrating team to play against. Their tactics are to work off the ball, to disrupt play, and to time waste at every given moment. I don't know if I agree with that, but I need to go back and watch. Um, I thought Pineda should have brought on Mo Adams as a ball winner in the midfield 
and stop trying to play through the press. I thought the game was screaming for Atlanta to work off the ball like we did against the Red Bulls in the playoffs. Teams of lesser quality have a hard time creating with the ball. In short, did Pineda get the game plan wrong, and what do you think should have changed? Well, I do I do agree with you that there wasn't a lot of passing and moving, which is uh, how Atlanta United was creating and scoring so many goals in its past few games. It was a lot of, I'm going to try to dribble through two to four guys, um, which I don't think was the tactic. Uh, Pineda's never talked about that being a tactic. Again, I think it goes back to maybe everyone had that Marino goal on their head and were trying to make their own highlight, which is not being a team player. Uh, as far as bringing on Mo Adams as a ball winner, um, I don't know how he would have impacted the game. I like Mo. I think he's a good player. I think he showed that last year. Uh, but I don't know how he would have affected the performance on Saturday. And a second point, do you think Valentino and Kubo entering health and safety protocols affected the team mentally? Uh, I think, uh, no, I don't think it affected them mentally. I think that not having Valentino on the sideline um, affected Pineda because that was one less pair of eyes to watch things, one less uh, guy to bounce ideas off of. Uh, but Pineda said, you know, this is none of this is Valentino's fault. And I do think that he was going to use Kubo as a striker in this game instead of the false nines. He said that on Thursday. He threw out Kubo as a possible alternative. And then, boom, on Saturday, health and safety protocol. So something happened either Thursday night, Friday, or Saturday morning um, for them to go into the health and safety protocols. Uh, Aaron says, thanks for your hard work and coverage. Well, thank you for reading, Aaron. Take a coffee sip here real quick, and we're going to go on to two questions from Twitters because people can't seem to understand I want them to email them to me. I'm being a little bit salty, and that's okay. I haven't finished my first cup of coffee. And I hope you're enjoying a nice cup of coffee, maybe outside on a cool morning uh, wherever you live. Uh, can this team make the playoffs without Joseph? I'm not hopeful as we still have no viable backup. Yes, this team can make the playoffs. Um, its remaining games, they get to play Inter-Miami, which is a train wreck right now, Toronto, which is the worst team in the league, Cincinnati, which is the second worst team in the league, Toronto again, and Miami again. These are all Those are winnable games. You win those games, you're in the playoffs. And they could do it with a false nine. They can do it with Kubo. They can do it with Conway. Should that be what uh, Pineda wants. Um, yeah. Uh, should Jackson Conway or, e, or even Kubo, well, Kubo wasn't available, Mr. Twitter person, um, come on earlier? Yep, probably. Um, but, you know, he came on in, um, what minute did Conway come on? For some reason, the minutes played aren't on this uh, box, which is kind of strange. Uh, let me go down to the bottom and see when Conway came on in the 68th minute. So, yeah, I mean, maybe eight minutes earlier, maybe 13 minutes earlier to see what was going to happen. There was a stretch in the second half where Atlanta United did play well, or better, I should say, than it was playing. I don't know if I would classify that as well. So I guess Pineda was waiting to see, and it's hard to, you know, it's hard to know 
sometimes when to bring in a sub. But I thought Conway, other than getting dribbled past along with Jake Mulraney, who came in at the same time for that first goal, I thought he did okay the rest of the game. Um, all right, and then our last question, and this this is going to be a rant from me. Uh, so I hope you'll listen. I hope you – oh, hold on. My bad. I got a question from Dan before I get into that final question. What positives can you take from that game? Uh, Brad Guzan played well. Um, Miles Robinson and George Campbell and, and Anton Walks again played well. I'm sorry, my dog is here trying to put her head on the keyboard of my laptop, and she's sniffing my feet, which tickles. Um, is too much birthday cake the reason behind the team's collective lethargy? I'm going to be honest with you, Ben. They don't eat the cake. Uh, they take like one bite, and then it gets pushed into their face, um, and then the rest of it gets thrown onto the ground for the poor groundskeepers to have to clean up. Stop, Jurgen. I'm trying to work, baby. Stop. Um, a lack of depth or something else. Jurgen is my dog, named for Jurgen Klopp, Liverpool's manager, and she is being very, very needy right now, so I apologize. Um, Okay, now we're going to get into Jim's question. Uh, my question is not about Saturday's game, but about the expanded Leagues Cup. If you didn't, if you don't religiously follow MLS, and you should, shame on you. The league and uh, Liga Emekis uh, announced on Wednesday that they're going to expand the Leagues Cup to include every team in Liga Emekis and Major League Soccer. They're going to stop. Each league is going to stop its play for a month in the summer to conduct a tournament uh, among all the teams. And uh, crown a champion. And then the top three finishers will qualify for the 2024. This starts in 2023 will qualify for the 2024 Champions League, which is also being expanded from 16 to 27 teams, which is going to mean it's going to last longer. So, Jim says, I do not understand the apparent enthusiasm of the players. That means a lot more games, which could lead to fewer days off and more injuries. Three game weeks will become routine in MLS. We have seen the mental and physical strain of too many games just recently with Joseph and Miles. How many games can a player play in a year without wearing out? Is anyone talking about this? Well, I have, and I've written about it. So I figured in 2024, if one very lucky, very successful MLS team advances to the finals of every tournament, so that would be the MLS Cup playoffs after a 34-game regular season, after the Champions League, which would involve, I think, nine games, after the League's Cup, which I think would be seven games, after the U.S. Open Cup, which I think would be four or five games. I have to do this off the top of my head. Um, they would end up playing in 61 games in about 10 months. That is an insane number of games. Uh, and so far, there have been no verbiage from MLS, Liga Emekis, or CONCACAF 
about the players receiving more money. Because right now, uh, you know, a moderately successful MLS team will play 34 games. Let's say it plays a couple of games in the MLS Cup. Let's say it plays a couple of games in the playoffs. You're up to 38. Let's say it played in the Champions League. That's another four games. That's 42. That's a lot of games in a season then. Now you go from 42 to 61. And again, I don't think that's ever going to happen. But it's just an example of what could happen. Um, the MLSPA has not issued a statement about this. That's the Players Union, uh, presumably because there are so few details coming out uh, about compensation or bonuses or anything like that. And you're right. It is a ridiculous figure of games. Something has got to change the rosters. Um, they've got to be expanded to add a couple more players. You've got to figure out if you can add another DP, another young DP, and another uh, well, uh, another DP, another under-22 slot. Um, and then we'll have to figure out the young DPs. Because, and this is probably the most important point of all this, Liga Emekis typically wins these tournaments. MLS has made it to the finals. The MLS has won it a couple of times a long time ago in a different version. Um, so you, you're adding these games. You're putting more stress on the players to just end up losing to Liga and Mekis. Um Is MLS closing that gap? Yes, I think it is. Uh, is there a chance MLS could win? A better chance than a couple of years ago. But on the whole, this is going to be very, very difficult for MLS teams. Now, the games in the League's Cup are happening in the U.S. and Canada, uh, provided that you know COVID protocols and everything are, are still the same now as they were. Um, but it really doesn't matter because Mexican supporters will travel, they will buy tickets, and they will turn MLS stadiums into their home stadiums unless MLS teams decide to reduce capacity for visiting fans, which I would think they can't do because this is a partnership between MLS and Liga Emekis, and their teams aren't even going to get to play in their home stadiums. So that would seem to be a little spiteful, if you ask me. Coffee sip. So breaking this down, more games. High probability of, of Liga Emeki's teams winning these tournaments. What is the reason for doing this? Well, for Liga Emeki's teams, it's got to be money um, because it's a expanded schedule for them, too. They're going to be away from home for a month in some cases. Um, got to be more money. It's more brand awareness for them and the United States. The second, third biggest market in the world. Um, chance for Mexican supporters living in the U.S. to get to see their teams live, which is really cool. What is the advantage? And this is the advantage for everyone. It will hopefully goose interest in soccer ahead of the 2026 World Cup, which is going to be held in Mexico in the United States and in Canada, Atlanta is in the running. I'll be shocked if Atlanta doesn't get a semifinal um, game at Mercedes-Benz Stadium. 
and MLS is going to renegotiate its broadcast rights, uh, I think, for 2024. It might be 2025. I'll do it off the top of my head again. This tournament, League's Cup, could be a way to try to goose those broadcast rights. But if I'm MLS, I'm not bundling or trying attempting to bundle because you don't own the rights to the CONCACAF stuff, uh, to the Champions League, for example. Uh, but they may be going in with CONCACAF, if possible, and trying to bundle rights to all these tournaments into one broadcast package. If I were MLS, I'd be doing it a la carte. Here's the regular season package. Here's the League's Cup package. Here's the champ- CONCACAF, along with CONCACAF. Here's the Champions League package. Um, and sell them to the highest bidders. Um, that's going to be interesting, too. So steps I would take if I were MLS you got to expand the rosters from to, I would think, 35, maybe to add some depth, add another DP slot, add another young DP slot, add another under-22 slot, add some more TAM. But to do that, they've got to go back to the negotiating table, I think, with the Players Union. Um, and that CBA, which was just ratified uh, earlier this year, um, well, I don't even know if it's been ratified yet. It's been agreed to because they still haven't put it up on the web, which the MLSPA typically does. So it, they, I don't know if it's even been ratified. I have to go back and see if it's been ratified. Um, last through the 2027 season. So I don't know if MLS can just add rules without the MLSPA coming to the table. And if the MLSPA comes to the table, then it's going to want more money. And right now, in all honesty, I think that they may have the leverage because the players can, I don't know, uh, threaten to, uh, to strike if they don't get more money uh, to play in these extra games. Uh, I hope that doesn't come the case. Um, I'm not a labor lawyer, so if you are a labor lawyer out there and want to email me on the possibilities what the MLS players can do. I would love to read it. Um, anyway, it's going to be interesting. All right. I don't think I have any more questions. Let's see here. Uh, nope, I don't. Um, so I'm going to wrap up this edition of the Southern Fried Soccer Podcast. As always, you can find me on Twitter at Doug Robertson AJC, on Facebook at Atlanta United News Now. On Instagram, at Douglas David Robertson. I hope you're safe. I hope you're well. I hope you're, you've are you been vaccinated. If you haven't been, I hope you're considering it. Uh, hospitals are, are filling up, or actually they're overflowing. Um, I want to give a, a congratulations to my good buddy, Barry, who recently became a grandpa. I want to send out, uh, not a congratulations, but... You know, a note to Georgia State's football team, uh, which came within seconds of beating Auburn last night. Really outplayed Auburn, to be honest with you. Um, but that, I watched the end of that game. That was a fun game. <clears throat> and I have some, some good friends over there. And uh, I feel for them. But as I, I said to them, <laughs> I think it's a compliment to your program the way Auburn was celebrating after the win. Uh, they were celebrating as if they beat an SEC team and not a Sunbelt team. And I think they know that they got lucky. Um, So anyway, congrats, so to speak, to Georgia State. 
And uh, I want to give a shout out to my wife, Annette, because yesterday was World Pharmacist Day, and she's a pharmacist at the hospital here at the Oncology Center, but also works at the hospital too sometimes. At the hospital here, uh, she's worked a crap load of days, recent uh, days with like just one day off recently. So I'm proud of her and want to thank her. And yesterday was also uh, Daughters National Daughters Day. So I want to shout out to Sarah Beth and Joy, my daughter and stepdaughter. Uh, I love y'all and I'm proud of y'all. And thank you for making me a very lucky dad. All right, that's it for this podcast. Y'all take care. Please share it with your friends. And let me know things that you would like for me to add or things you don't like. Uh, You can email me at droberson at ajc.com. All right. Goodbye. In Atlanta, one voice has stood out for over four decades. An AJC original, The Monica Pearson Show. Let's talk about how you got to ESPN. Revealing interviews. You are known as America's doctor, but I want to know who you were before that. When you have a different name, you have different color skin, it can be tough. With Atlanta's most famous faces as you've never seen them before. I'm telling my story. This is the American dream. The Monica Pearson Show, streaming now on AJC.com. The AJC's trusted veteran political voices, Greg Bluestein, Patricia Murphy, Tia Mitchell, and Bill Nygut are the essential source for Georgia politics. The Atlanta Journal-Constitution's Politically Georgia. Sign up for the newsletter, download the podcast, subscribe to the AJC.